0: Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, as our kids head back with Miss Rhonda to Kids Church, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go with me to Hosea chapter 11. Uh, Hosea chapter 11, that's where we are going to be this morning. Uh, One thing that I failed to mention Uh, a while ago in in our announcements after I uh, mistakenly said we're having VBS in January. Um, If you're our guest this morning, if this is your first time with us, we would invite you to fill out one of the guest cards that that either you received when you came in the the front doors or there should be one in the pew in front of you. Fill that out. Place an offering plate when it comes by at the end of the service so we can have a record of your visit but also so we can know how to serve you here at First Baptist Church. And if this is your first time with us this morning, we want to say welcome. And uh, we have a a small gift, uh, just as a token of our appreciation, to say thanks for for coming to worshiping with us this morning and to give you a little bit of information about who we are and and where we're going, where we feel like the Lord's leading us uh, over the next, uh, uh, well, as long as He leads us, (laughs) where where we believe He's leading us. Um, So, As we've walked through Hosea, and as we're getting closer to wrapping this up, next week we're going to be in chapter 14, and then uh, the following week we're really just going to look at what I call the gospel according to Hosea. So we're going to kind of wrap up everything that that we've looked at so far in in the book of Hosea. Uh, Now two weeks ago, before Easter, we looked at a a call to repentance in Hosea chapter 6 where Hosea issued this call of repentance to the people and and at least for a time, they did faithfully return. But that didn't last. They continued to sin. They continued to turn away from God. Uh, By the way, if you look, if you read through the the book of Hosea, what you're going to see is really this pattern of sin and judgment and repentance and, and God saving his people. And then the people turn away, and they sin, and judgment comes on them, and then God saves them out of that judgment. Um, what we learn through the, through the book of Hosea is that people are fickle, okay? Uh, now, if you have any experience with people whatsoever, you're probably going to agree with that statement, right? If you have any experience in your own spiritual life whatsoever, you've probably experienced that oh man, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm caught in this pattern of sin, God, God save me, God restore me, and He does. And, and then what happens? If, if we're not careful, if we don't keep a close watch on the way we walk, we will fall right back into a pattern of sin. Maybe not, maybe not the same as old patterns, but one of the things I've learned in my own life is that when I, when I have sin beat in one area of my life, it tends to pop up in another area of life. That's, that's the reality, I think, of living in a fallen world. and and a reality of of following after Christ, even as freely loved and forgiven children of God. So so as I've said before, the believer's life then is marked not by perfection, but by progress in repentance. Because here's what I've learned, as long as you live in this world... As long as you have breath in your in your lungs here, you are going to struggle with sin. There will never be a day where you wake up and you're like, I've made it. Like, sin's no longer an issue for me. And if you do, that's pride and that's sin. So, okay, so so if you ever wake up and you're like, look at how awesome I am! No, that's sin and you need to repent right then. Alright? Uh, that's just, that, that's the way this works. So So, if you're Wondering, shouldn't I be farther along in my relationship with Christ than, than where I am? Well, yeah, maybe, but, but the fact is you still live in a fallen world, in, in a fallen flesh that's going to war against the things of the Spirit. And try as we might, you're never going to completely beat sin in this life. And that's the good news of the gospel, that you couldn't beat sin, so Christ beat it for you. And he granted you his righteousness even more when you still were dead in sins and trespasses. Um, now, so, so what do we do with this in the life of the people of God? So this is written to Israel. This is written to the people of God. And we see God's, uh, we, we see God's judgment on them in some ways. We see that, that their actions have consequences. And I think what I said two weeks ago is simply this. Um, Even as followers of Christ, our actions, our sins will continue to have consequences. And for the children of Israel, one of those consequences was that they were no longer allowed to live in the land that God had promised to them. That's certainly true uh, for this northern kingdom of Israel that Hosea is writing to. They are are taken over by uh, the Assyrian Empire, and this northern kingdom of Israel ceases to exist. The southern kingdom of Judah lasts for about 150 more years until the Babylonians take over. But but one of those consequences is that God's people no longer enjoy the blessings of uh, living in the land that he promised to them. Alright, so this morning um, we're going to turn really our attention to the question of how does God feel about us when we sin? When I, as a follower of Christ, find myself caught in sin. How does God feel about me? Is he angry with me? Like, is God just up there? Kind of like our, maybe you've seen the movies with uh, Zeus, who's like just kind of sitting there waiting with his light, bolt of lightning, like waiting for somebody to step out of line so we can strike them down. Is that how God feels about us when we as children of God sin? Um, so, first of all, let me say this. If you're here today and you've not Uh, Yet turned from sin and and trusted in Christ the Bible says I I think plainly that you are separated from God and you're still under His wrath because of sin so the call for you today if you'd say no I I would not claim to be a believer not claim to be a follower of Christ The the call for you this morning is real simple that is to turn from sin and trust in Christ repent of sin and And to to use an old Baptist or an old old term. We don't say a whole lot anymore Uh, You need to get saved that's, that's the bottom line. Turn from sin, trust in Christ, be saved. Ask, Jesus to, or ask God to forgive your sins through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Paying the debt that you and I owed. Trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Follow him as your Lord. See, I think the Bible says plainly that God wants you to repent and to trust in Christ. In fact, it says that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to pay your penalty, the penalty that you owed for sin. And so if that's you this morning, that's going to be the call to you at at the end of our time this morning. That's the call to you every week. But But our passage this morning is primarily addressed to God's people. And so people of God, children of God, followers of Christ, we're going to look this morning at how God feels about us when we sin. How does he feel about us when we turn away from him? So that takes us to uh, Hosea chapter 11. And so if you will stand as we read the word the Lord has given to us this morning. We're going to read all 12 verses here. The word of the Lord says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Israel called to the Egyptians even as Israel was leaving them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk taking them by the hand, but they never knew that I healed them. I led them with human cords, with ropes of love. To them I was like one who eases the yoke from their jaws. I bent down to give them food. Israel will not return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria will be his king because they refuse to repent. A sword will whirl through his cities. It will destroy and devour the bars of his gates because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning from me. Though they call to him on high, he will not exalt them at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? I have uh, I've had a heart, a change of heart. My compassion is stirred. I will not vent the f- full fury of my anger. I will not turn back to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in rage. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will be roused like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. Then I will settle them in their homes. This is the Lord's declaration. Ephraim surrounds me with lies, the house of Israel with deceit. Judah still wonders with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for... This morning, I thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. And this morning, I pray you would open our eyes to how you feel about us, even when we as your people have turned away. We find ourselves chasing after false idols that can never satisfy. Will you remind us this morning of your faithful love for your people? We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We have a lot of things to cover here this morning. Um, So really I have have three three things I want to look at out of this passage uh, that will tell us something about God's faithful love and how we can come to understand God's faithful love even in the midst of our sin and our rebellion against God. The first one is simply this. If we want to understand God's faithful love for us, we're called to remember God's faithful love in the Exodus. That's the first thing that that God does for his children here in this passage, is he points them to the past. He says, I want you to look backwards. I want you to look back at the Exodus. And this is what he says in verses 1 through 7. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Israel called to the Egyptians even as Israel was leaving them. Did you see what, what he just said there? So he said, uh, Israel was a child. I loved him. I called him uh, out of Egypt. I called my son. This is fulfilling a promise. He's, he's reminding his people of the promise that he fulfilled where he, uh, where he told Abraham back in Genesis, you're... You, you will wind up in a land that's not your own and you and your people will be slaves for 400 years and then I will redeem them. So God's reminding his children through the prophet Hosea of what he's done for them in the past. I called you out of Egypt, by the way, just like I said I would. And yet, even as the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, they called the Egyptians. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. See, one of the things that we're going to see, especially if you're familiar at all with the uh, story of the Exodus, is that not long after the children of Israel left Egypt, after God led them out of Egypt, they immediately started longing for Egypt again. They found themselves in the desert. Uh, they, they were hungry, they were thirsty, and despite the fact that God had performed these great miracles to get them out of Egypt, and then split the Red Sea wide open so that they walked through on dry land, the people started complaining, why doesn't God care about us? God, what have you done for us? Yeah, all, the, yeah, all that stuff was cool, we appreciated you leading us out of Egypt, but why are you letting us go hungry? In fact, they they even started calling out to Moses, Moses, why on earth would you have led us out of Egypt? I mean, sure, we were in slavery, and they were beating us every day, but, but, you know, life was not that bad there. Sure, we were slaves, but, I mean, you know, they fed us, right? I mean, we had shelter over, yeah, we never got to enjoy our houses because we were working 17-hour days, but we had houses. Come on, Moses, why, why would you do this to us? God, why do you hate your people? Now, it's kind of easy for us to look back and point and laugh at the Egyptians, right? Or, excuse me, at the Israelites. And say, man, how how could they miss what God did for them? How could they complain to God after the great great miracles that he had shown? the, The way that he demonstrated his love and his care for them. But, you know, I think if we stopped and if we were honest with ourselves we probably act far more like the Israelites than we want to admit. When something doesn't go just our way, God, why are you punishing me? Can we look to the past, maybe in your own life, and through the examples of the men and women throughout Scripture, and see God's faithful love to his people. Verses 3 and 4, God tells Israel, he uses the word Ephraim, and that's, a, that's a, one of the ways that, that God refers to his children Israel, particularly this northern kingdom. We, we know the southern kingdom is referred to as Judah. Uh, so he refers to the northern kingdom as, as Ephraim. Look at verse 3, three and 4. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the hand, but they never knew that I healed them. I led them with human cords, with ropes of love. To them I was like the one who eases the yoke from their jaws. I bent down to give them food. See, the picture we have here in verses 3 and 4 is of a loving father caring for his child, helping his child to walk. Parents, maybe there was a time in your life with your kids where you you had them by the hands and and they were standing on your feet and you were helping them walk or you, you held them by the hands while they took those first steps. This is the picture that God has here for his people. He's a loving father helping his children walk, bending down and giving them food. in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy, I think I've said before, is is Moses' final address to the the children of Israel before two things happen. Before, first of all, he passes away, and before they enter the promised land. And so this is kind of Moses recounting the last 40 years for the children of Israel. That, that's the, that's the, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. It's one long sermon where, where Moses over and over and over again reminds the children of Israel of the great love that God has for them, the way that he has led them through the desert wilderness, the way he miraculously led them out of Egypt, and now they're standing uh, ready to enter this promised land that their fathers were promised but didn't get to see because of their sin. This is, this is what it says, Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. The Lord has had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you are more numerous than all peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So the first... Answer to the question of how does God feel about us when we sin, when we fall away, is found by looking at what he's already done for us in the past. Looking at what he's already done for his people through the past. And in Deuteronomy 7, we see that, that God says, Listen, I chose you not not because you were awesome, but because I am awesome. Not because you were, you were lovable, but because I am loving. Not because you were special, but because I am special. I chose you, and I chose to show my love to you. Um, And again, think about God's love here for a second. So throughout the law, throughout the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God lays out what he expects of his people, what it means to live as the people of God. And he tells them not only what they're supposed to do, but also he, he lays out the consequences for them if they turn away from God. Now, I think oftentimes we look at that and we think, well, why on earth would why would God punish people for not doing what he told them to do? But, but think about this. Is it not loving to, to tell people, first of all, not only what you what, what's expected of them, but secondly, what consequences are if you if, if, if you're not faithful to that? So, for instance, if I just told my kids, um, hey, I want you to do this. You're, you're my child. I'm asking you to go clean your room. And they don't go clean the room. At some point, do you not lay out that, that there will be consequences? Now, now, hopefully, right, from our end, the, the punishment fits the crime. So, so if they refuse to clean their room, hopefully uh, I'm not kicking them out of the house. Okay. If you've done that, we need to talk and have some parental counseling. Okay, um, right? But if if you don't clean your room, you're going to lose TV privileges. And then what happens? Parents, if you've ever experienced this, the time will ultimately come where they don't clean their room, right? And they lose TV privileges. And what happens? Do they come to you and say, well, thank you. You lined out those consequences so nicely for me. And I, in my rebellious, sinful self... Um, deserve the consequences. No, right? They come to you and like, it's so unfair. You're the meanest parent ever. Okay. And yet, isn't that what the children of, of Israel did to God? God said, listen, if you don't follow me, things are not going to go well for you. And so what happened? They didn't follow him. What happened? Things didn't go well. And what do they do? God is so kind and great. No. God, Why? Because you didn't do what I, what, I, what I said to do. Now listen, at this point, God sounds kind of legalistic and, and, and dictatorial, right? Okay, good. That's not the end of the story. Go on. Verse eight, verses 8 and 9. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? We'll get to those in just a second. I have had a change of heart. My compassion is stirred. I will not vent the full fury of my anger. I will not turn back to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in rage. Uh, Here's why this is important, especially the last part of that, because we have a tendency to create God in our own image. So maybe the best example of this is when we talk about God as Father, we have a tendency to relate that to our earthly fathers. And so if you have a great earthly father, maybe when you hear uh, that, that God is Father like that, that creates a really nice and, and um, a warm and comforting feeling to you. But if you had a father who was either absent or abusive. When you hear God as father, that's probably going to bring a whole nother set of ideas about who God is to your mind. And so we need to understand what God's saying right here. He says, I am God and not man. See, all throughout scripture, we're told we're made in the image of God, not that he's made in our image. I'm God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in rage. Now, now, this is significant, and here's why. Because when the holy, righteous creator of the universe made mankind and said, You are made in my image. Your sole purpose is to worship me, the creator. When we rebelled against that, God had every right to come in rage and destroy his people. He would have been well within his rights and his holiness and his righteous justice to come in rage. And God says, that's not how I'm coming. I will not vent the full fury of my anger, even though you deserve it. Now if we fast forward and we look back at this through the through the New Testament, we know that there was a day when God vented his full wrath and his full righteous anger. But in his love, he didn't do that to you and me. He vented it on his son, so that you and I would experience not his wrath, but his mercy. Not not his anger but his grace and his love. See, this, verses 8 and 9, cause us to recognize God's faithful love and his promises. So the first few verses told us to look back at at what God had done to his people, the way that he had demonstrated faithful love to his people. Then we're told to look at how he has made, how he's demonstrated his faithful love through his promises Verse 8 is kind of weird because it throws out a couple of cities that we're not all that familiar with. He says, how can I give you up Ephraim? How can I surrender you Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Both of those cities are referenced back in uh, Genesis. And they were cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which if you're familiar at all with the story, were completely destroyed. And God says, how can I treat my people like those who are not my people? He says, no, I'm not going to do that. My, my people, I'm going to show love to them. Maybe the, one of the clearest declarations of God's love in all of the Bible is in Exodus 34, 6. 34, 6 and 7. It says, uh, this is when Moses had asked to see the glory of the Lord. And so uh, God says, well, Moses, um, you know, I understand what you're asking, but, but here's the thing. Uh, I am holy, righteous God, and you are sinful human. human and and if, if I were to actually pass in front of you, I would kill you. So, so that's not the best plan for you, okay, Moses? I'm, I'm really not interested in killing you at this moment. Um, so he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in the, the cleft of the rock. And when I pass by, I'll let you see the backside of my glory. I'll, I'll let you see my back. So God does. He takes Moses. He puts him in, in kind of a cleft on the rock. And the Lord passes by. And as the Lord passes by, this is what he declares. Uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. Now, Like, sometimes I read this and I kind of wish it stopped right there because this is a really awesome declaration of God's love, right? And and it was promise that this is what he's going to do. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love. This is who I am. I'm going to forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But look at the way the rest of verse 7 goes. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. That's, that, does anybody else does that strike you as kind of weird, like when God's declaring His great love and, and, and that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, I'm going to forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin? unless. Why? But because God takes his righteousness seriously. And because God takes his righteousness seriously, He takes sin seriously. And looking back at this from the New Testament perspective, if, if this strikes you as, as odd and as out of line with maybe the, the God that you like to think of, let, let, let me tell you why this is important for us to know. Because apart from Christ, this is what we deserve. Or let me rephrase that. Let me take off that first qualifier. This is what we deserve. We don't deserve God's righteousness and his mercy. We deserve his justice and his wrath. Wait, just because I turned away from him? That, that's not really fair, right? Oh. If you think that's not fair, you've grossly misunderstood the character and the righteousness and the holiness and the purity of God. We deserve hell. And wrath, We deserve to be separated from God for all eternity, but God who's rich in mercy, who's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion and sin, sent Jesus Christ, his one and only son, so that you and I might be brought back into relationship with him, not experience his wrath and his judgment but experience his grace, his love, and his mercy. The way Paul puts it is this. He says, while we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. You've heard me say it before. um, God God did not say to us, you know, um, I I really like to forgive you, but, but I only deal with, um, I, I only deal with holy people so go clean yourself up and then come back and then I'll forgive your sin. You gotta, you gotta go take care of some stuff first and then come back then I'll, then I'll take care of you. Kind of be like as I've said before going to a hospital like with a broken arm right in your arm like dangling off to the side and, and then saying oh we, I'm sorry we don't treat injured people here. So you go home and you heal that up yourself and then come back and then we'll be able to take care of you. So remember the as we remember God's faithful love in his promises. And as we remember God's faithful love in the past, that can help us regard his faithful love in the future. Look at me at verses 10 through 12. This is the last thing. Verse 10 through 12 says, they will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will be roused like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. Then I will settle them in their homes. This is the Lord's declaration. See, God had promised that if his people turned away from him, they would not get to experience life in the promised land. And like children, they didn't really believe that there would be consequences for their actions. And so they turned away from God. And sure enough, these consequences came true. They were scattered. But listen, that's not the end of the story. That's never the end of the story for a child of God. As long as you have breath in your lungs, that's not the end of your story. It doesn't have to be. See, he promises that even though his children will be carried off, there's still hope for them. They'll repent. And, and again, as we look through the lens of the New Testament back, we know that God extends this call of repentance. And so as we've said, if you're a believer, you are free from the wrath of God that was poured out on Christ for your sake at the cross. You've been set free from sin and death. Not to sin and death. Let's let's make that clear. Been set free from sin and death. Doesn't mean we're set free to live however we want. We're set free from the penalty of sin. We're set free from being separated from God for all Eternity. And so, listen, if you're, if you're in the body of Christ, will you rest in that truth today? If, you're, if you are a follower of Christ, would you, would you just walk out of here today believing that you are set free from the law of sin and death? That, that when temptation comes, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 3, or 1 Corinthians 10, you have a way of escape? You're not a slave to give in to that. And that even if I do, even if I slip and fall, my God doesn't look down on me with disappointment or with judgment, but he looks down on me as a loving father who's still teaching me to walk, who's still bending down to give me food. If you're not in Christ, the, the call here is, is real simple, and that is to repent, to repent of sins, to come to faith in Christ. Hear this call. By the way, this is in Revelation 22, so this is as the Bible itself is wrapping up. This is is in the very last chapter of the last book of the Bible in Revelation. And this is how how the, the book of Revelation begins to close. It says, both the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life as a gift. You know, I think oftentimes we have this picture of God that we think when He looks at sinners, kind of stands there with His arms crossed, with a scowl on His face, just kind of shaking His head. Do you know why I think we think of God that way? Because that's probably what we've seen a lot of people who claim to be followers of Christ do. And yet, what's the invitation here? Come. Come and taste. Who? What does he say? Let anyone who hears say come. Are you thirsty? Are you tired of living life? Wondering if God loves you? Wondering if God, let's take it a step further. Maybe, maybe you're convinced that God loves you. But would you believe that, that I think that God actually likes you too? Maybe as a spouse or as a parent, you've heard the words, or as a child, you heard the words, well, I love you, but I don't have to like you right now. Would, would, would you believe that God likes you? And so his, his response to even children who've wandered astray, even believers who aren't living life the way that he would have us live, would you know it's not go away, it's, it's come? Come. Experience the waters of life. Experience what it's like to live life as a child freely loved and redeemed. Come and have that fellowship with him restored. That's the offer this morning. Yes, let us remember God's faithful love in the past. Let, let us recognize his faithful, his faithful love through his promises fulfilled to his people. Let us regard his faithful love in the future where one day everything that is broken in this world will be set right. And come, let us live in his presence as his people. It's the invitation this morning that you would come, that you would experience this life, maybe some of you for the first time, Or you would say, I'm done living life on my own. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to turn away from sin, and I want to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to be moved from death to life. That's the call to you this morning. If that's you, I'd love to pray with you in just a moment and show you how you can come to faith in Christ. Maybe if you're a believer this morning, the call is the same. Come. Come back. Repent of sins. Stop running from God's calling and his, his chasing after you and come live in His presence as His child. It's the call for us individuals. It's the call for us as a church that we would live as the people of God together, pursuing Him together. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that the way you feel about us is not based on how we live. That you constantly look at us as, loving, as a loving father looks to his child. And I pray that when we as believers stray and we, we turn away to sins and, and our hearts um, are led astray by idols... But When you rouse us to our senses, we wouldn't be ashamed to come back into your presence, but we would come as a child running to his loving father. And when we do, that fellowship would be restored. And you would awaken in us a new sense of what it means to live as a child of God, freely loved and forgiven through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. For, for those here in the room this morning who have never taking that first step to turn from sin and to trust in Christ, may today be the day that they say yes. The day that they lay their life down at the foot of the cross, asking you to forgive sin. And in exchange, you would give them the righteousness of God. God through Christ Jesus and eternal life. We thank you so much for the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. The thing that sets us free from the law of sin and death. May we live as children who've been set free. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.